Well, turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. We're going to be looking at the parable of the rich man and Lazarus today. Uh, As you're turning there, I just wanted to point out uh, a little bit about the context. Uh, Who is Jesus talking to? Who is he sharing this parable with? If you look back a little bit in chapter 14, you find that Jesus is speaking to a great crowd, uh, which he often did in the Gospels. Um, But also, looking a little further ahead into chapter 16, we find that Jesus maybe more specifically is speaking to a group of Pharisees. Uh, And so, that is the context, that's who he's talking to. He he says to the Pharisees, you know, uh, y'all are lovers of money. And the Pharisees ridicule Jesus for his teachings about the kingdom, And, and so Jesus responds with a couple of words for them, which we'll get to later, and then with this parable. So let's get to the word. Starting in verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, then they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Pray pray with me. Father, we are so thankful that we have your word, that you have given us your word, and that in your word we find all that we need to know for salvation in Christ Jesus. And I pray, Father, that as we dig into your word this morning, that you would enlighten our eyes, open our hearts, give us Uh, spiritual eyes and ears to understand spiritual things. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the the first, as as Jesus tells this parable, the first thing that I think he wants us to think about, that he wants his audience to think about, is who are the poor at our gates? He opens up by describing the life of this rich man. Uh, It says that he was dressed in purple, which was, of course, you probably know, the color of royalty. It was a very... Uh, expensive and, and rare thing to be able to afford purple clothing because of the way you got the, the purple dye. Uh, also says that he wore fine linen. I, I believe the text actually 
indicates it's something like dazzling or sparkling undergarments. So he had really nice underwear. That's, uh, that's how rich he was. He's that guy that goes and buys like the $100 pair of boxer shorts. So uh, he feasted sumptuously every day. Again, the text literally says that uh, he lived in dazzling splendor. I don't know what that's like, but it must be fun. He had a nice home. Uh, we know that he had a nice home because he had a gate. You know, you know if you've got a gate, like a big gate for your house, that's a big house. That's a mansion, right? You, anyway. Um, so he, he is filthy rich. He's not just rich. He's not just well off. He's not upper middle class. He's filthy rich. He's like Tony Stark, Bruce Wayne. You know, uh, it's one of the newer Batman movies with Christian Bale and Bruce Wayne decides he needs to go start flaunting his wealth and so like he takes these two uh, Russian models and goes to a hotel and he's like, I'm going to buy your hotel. And, and then they leave and they're like, Bruce, we have some more hotels for you to buy. And uh, that's, that's the kind of thing you should think about. He's flaunting his wealth everywhere he goes. He lives in dazzling splendor. But then there's poor Lazarus. Now, um, you might be thinking, this is the Lazarus that Jesus rose from the dead, from John 11. Don't know that for sure. Probably not, actually, since this is just a parable. Um, but the name is important, because the name Lazarus comes from the Hebrew Eleazar, which means God has helped. And so we are to understand that this is a man who is totally dependent on God for his help. We see that very clearly in his physical condition. Uh, he was laid at the rich man's gate. He was not able to walk there himself, so he is potentially paralyzed or, or so sick and, and hungry and helpless that he can't walk. Someone else had to put him at the rich man's gate. Um, he is covered in sores. Again, we don't know why, but whatever it is, his condition was such that, that he was in great pain, great anguish, and he could not care for himself, so he depended on someone else. This makes me think of when we were in Jamaica this past summer with the high school youth on a mission trip, we would we go there and, and one of the things we do is visit this place called an infirmary, which uh, what it is is a nursing home for people who can't afford nursing homes. It's the poorest of the poor, the most helpless people that you will find in, in this country. Uh, and so as you walk in, you, you have this long corridor and on either side of the corridor is a bed or beds all the way down the wall. And that's really all the people have is their bed and a few possessions. So I'm, you know, when we go there, our goal is to go and talk to people and just try to encourage them and pray with them as best we can. And uh, as I'm walking down the corridor, I'm, I'm looking for someone to talk to. Um, and, and some of y'all high school students will remember this. There, there was a man lying in his bed, and his face was so he, covered in, in sores, mangled or, or burned, or I don't know what. But it was such that I... I could barely look at him, and I was ashamed at the response in my heart of, of just wanting to look away because it, just seeing him was so sad, uh, but that's what I think of when I think of Lazarus in this story, of someone who you just, he's so helpless, so poor, he, he's been for whatever reason so uh, treated badly that, that he is simply someone you would not want to even really look at. That was the response of my, uh, my heart, my wicked heart. And, and that's also the response of the rich man. The rich man definitely would have seen Lazarus at his gate. You know? and, and the reason I think that is because it says in the text that, number one, the rich man flaunted his wealth. So if you're flaunting your wealth, if you're, 
If you're living in dazzling splendor, you're not the type of person that's going to stay home and, and hang out at the house all day, right? You're going to go about the town and, and show off your wealth and let people know how rich you are. So you're going to pass by your gate probably multiple times a day. And yet, as Lazarus laid there at the gate, you know, the only created being that, that gave Lazarus attention was the dogs. The dogs licked his sores. So the rich man would have just walked right by him, paid him no attention, ignored him. Well, can we relate to this? I don't think there's anybody in this room that can relate to how rich this rich man was or with how poor Lazarus was. I, I think we probably all fall somewhere in the middle. So, so maybe we can't really relate. You know, maybe we don't really have these poor, helpless people just laying in our driveways, in our, in our neighborhoods. Um, but I do think that it's important that we understand that this isn't really about rich and poor. Yes, it is a little bit, but it's not the main point. I believe with any parable that Jesus is really trying to get at the heart. He's trying to get at our hearts, at, at the rich man's heart, at Lazarus' heart, and he's asking us to examine our hearts and, and think about a couple of different questions that will help diagnose the conditions of our hearts. And one of those questions is, what do you do with your money? Jesus isn't saying that if you spend your money this way, then you'll go to heaven. Or if you spend your money this way, then you'll go to hell. He's saying how you treat your wealth, how you manage your money, that the money that God has given you is an indicator of the condition of your heart. And then the second question is, how do you treat, how do you treat the poor? Again, it's not if you treat the poor this way, you're going to heaven, and if you treat the poor this way, you're going to hell. It's if you treat the poor this way or such a way, that is an indicator of where your heart is. Do you have compassion for the poor or not? These are things that we must do. We must examine ourselves, examine our hearts. Do we use our money for our own glory? Or do we want to use it for God's glory? Do we simply ignore the poor like the rich man did? Or do we notice them and have compassion on them? Again, diagnostic questions. We're not, we're not checking boxes to get into heaven. We're asking diagnostic questions about our hearts to try and find out what the condition of our heart is. And it's important also that we understand that when we talk about poverty, we're not limiting ourselves to economic poverty here. Because there's a lot of different ways that we can be poor. Poverty really is just an absence of, of, of God and of the, the peace, the shalom that God gives us. And so you can be poor in, in multiple different ways. Everybody is spiritually poor, right? Especially apart from Christ. But then how about um, being relationally poor? I think we can all agree that while we live in a very wealthy nation, economically, uh, maybe relationally, we have some poverty here. Um, broken homes, people are lonely. We're as connected as ever on social media, but we're as disconnected as ever in reality. Um, we are relationally impoverished, and there may be people sitting in this room that are, that are so lonely that they're depressed, maybe even suicidal because of it. And we don't know unless we notice. We don't know unless we ask. We don't know unless we have compassion enough to ask those questions of our brothers and sisters and say, how are you? We don't know unless our hearts are in such a condition that, that, we, that we want to feel 
compassion for, for the poor. Well, the poor, if, if we're pursuing our own glory, like I said, if you think about your, how you spend your money, your wealth, uh, do you spend it all on your own glory? And, and if that's, that's our attitude, that's the condition of our hearts, it's really easy for us to, to see the poor as obstacles. Now, this, this is going to sound kind of crass, um, but the only way I really can think about it is in sports terms. And so, like, if you're playing football and you break, you, you got to run the ball, uh, you break free, headed towards the end zone, and all you got is this one little 150-pound defensive back in your way, what are you going to do? You're going to stiff-arm him. Push him to the ground. Get out of my way. I'm headed for glory. If we are about pursuing our own glory at all costs, that is how we will view the poor. We will stiff-arm the poor out of our way because they're an inconvenience. But if we are about God's glory... We will make room for the poor. We will, we will notice them. We will have the Lord working in us to create softened, compassionate hearts so that we will care for them because that is what God desires. Well, back to the parable. Unfortunately for the rich man, the tables get turned in eternity. He, uh, in a way, ends up trading places with Lazarus. Um, one of the things we see here is that Lazarus is not buried, or at least we don't... We don't here that he's buried, which uh, was kind of a disgrace in that culture. Um, but then Abraham, or not Abraham, sorry, the rich man, of course, was buried. In fact, he probably had a big old funeral party. It was probably very lavish, a dazzling display of splendor. Uh, but in the meantime, the rich man is in Hades and is experiencing torment. The tables have turned. Lazarus is now blessed. Perhaps for the first time in his life, he experiences blessing. And and for the first time in the rich man's life, he's experiencing uh, torment, curses. Um, But the rich man's eternal misery is is infinitely greater than than Lazarus' earthly misery was. I mean, this guy is so miserable. He's in such torment that even just to have Lazarus dip a drop of water onto the tip of his tongue would be amazing. Even that would just make me feel a little better for, for a few minutes. It's interesting if you, if you think about it, that the rich man's heart hasn't really changed much now that he is in Hades and, and knows the, the full truth of the gospel. He still thinks of Lazarus as kind of a servant boy, you know, like, hey, Father Abraham, send him over here to help me out. He's even ordering Father Abraham around, like, you do this for me. That, that heart, that mindset of, of uh, I, people exist to serve me instead of I exist to serve people and I exist to serve the Lord, it hasn't changed. Well, we find that this is impossible. His request cannot happen because there is a, a great chasm that is fixed between uh, Hades and between Abraham's side where Lazarus is. Now, by the way, some of your translations might say that Lazarus is at Abraham's bosom, which is a really kind of a funny way to put it. But really what that's communicating is that uh, Abraham is the father of, of many nations. He's the father of the people of faith, father of all those who profess faith in Christ. And so um, the text is saying that Lazarus is in a place of favor uh, with the people of God. He is with God in eternity. And so anyway... There's this great chasm, whereas 
um, in earth, the rich man would not help Lazarus. Now in eternity, Lazarus cannot help the rich man. It's impossible. There, there is no second chance in eternity for this poor man who is suffering in Hades, or the rich man who's suffering in Hades. And look, I, this, is, this is not a doctrine that we, we love to talk about, um, but there, there is a, a large swath of, of so-called Christianity today that would deny that this is true, that would deny that there is a place where we would suffer eternal torment after this life if we don't have a, a heart that's been changed by the gospel. And I, and I think that is so foolish because in, in one sense, I mean, Jesus talks about Hades more than anybody. It's a very real thing according to him. And it's a place of torment. It's not a place where you go and get snuffed out. It's a place where you feel the anguish that this man felt. But it's also foolish because I think that it, it makes us kind of water down the consequences of our sin, our rebellion against God. So this, is more, this, this story is more than just karma, right? It's not like, oh, haha, funny, you had it good in this life, now you're going to have it bad in the next life because this is the way it works. I mean, Jesus doesn't do karma. I don't know if you know that, but that's, that's not a Jesus thing. Um, and it's also not a story about how God hates rich people. That's not what it is at all. God doesn't hate rich people. Um, in fact, if you think about it, this poor man, Lazarus, um, he, he's not in heaven because he's poor. So it's really not about rich and poor. It's about the heart. Again, I've said that already, but I'm going to keep saying it. So get used to it. But it's about the condition of the heart. Lazarus is in heaven, not because he's poor, but because he um, depended on God for everything. Because he, we assume, trusted Jesus for salvation and Jesus alone. So this, uh, the, the eternal weightiness of this parable, it, it directs us again to something more. And I think as we go back to the original audience, to the context, we're going to get clued into a couple of things that can help us better understand what Jesus' point is here about our hearts. Uh, in Luke 16, 15, we've already seen that the, the Pharisees have been ridiculing Jesus for his teaching, um, teaching about the kingdom of God. And uh, Jesus responds, and he says this in Luke 16, 15. He says, You justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. What is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So, Jesus is confronting the Pharisees on their legalism, on their self-righteousness, on their religious traditions. Uh, he's, he's really just kind of repeating what God has been saying for hundreds of years through the prophets. Uh, in Isaiah 1.11, God is very clear toward Israel about the things that he does not like about how they are living. He says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. So God is saying, I don't care about how religious you are. I don't care about how many things you do right or how many laws you keep. That is not the point. It goes on to tell us what the point is. And 
Isaiah 1, 16 and 17. He says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil deeds, the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. God is saying, I want you to have hearts of compassion. I want you to have hearts that are softened, that are, that are changed and transforming hearts. I care about your hearts. Again, Jesus warns the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 23 about the way that they preferred religion over people. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Jesus' message to the Pharisees is that y'all are the rich man in this parable. You spend so much effort, so much time, so much money trying to check every religious box for your own glory that you ignore the very people I have commanded you to help. You stiff-arm the poor out of the way. That's what he's saying to the Pharisees. But at the same time, he's also trying to get them to understand, I care about your heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. I care about the condition of your heart, about what you value, about what you desire. He says, it, it, he says I know your hearts. I know what's going on inside you. And I want you to desire the things that I desire. So how are you, how, how am I, looking to justify ourselves before God or before men. We talk about this a lot with, with youth um, because it's really common with youth to, to want to justify ourselves by our achievements, whether it's on the athletic field or in the classroom we, or with our looks. We, we think if I am just you know, good enough at this or the best at this, or if I look the best, then I, then I deserve to exist, is, a, is an easy way to put it. But, but how about you? Are you doing something like that? Are you, are you seeking to justify yourself before God, before men? Like waking up every day, like if I just get this right, if I just do this thing, if I just make enough money, and, or, or if I just give my kids a, a good enough education, or, or if my kids behave enough and make me look good, then I'll be justified. I mean, these are all things that we struggle with, even as Believers, these are all things that we wrestle with. And we have to preach the gospel to ourselves and get ourselves back in that heart attitude of, of depending on God for everything. Jesus says in John 15, 5, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, is that a delight to you or is that a threat to you? That's another diagnostic question that we have to ask ourselves. I'd say ask it every day. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Do I delight in that? Or does that seem threatening to me? And this is why we, we have to take God at his word. I don't know if you've ever heard of the pastor theologian Kevin DeYoung, but he wrote a great little book called Taking God at His Word, which is, uh, if, if you read that, you will have a really good grounding in um, why Scripture is sufficient and necessary and, and true. Um, so I, that's where I'm stealing my point from. This is his book. I want to give him credit. Um, but back to the parable. This rich man, he's, he realizes he's got no hope. 
So he says, Abraham, yo, send Lazarus to go talk to my five brothers so they don't come and be tormented like me. And again, I, I'm just startled by this guy's heart because if you, God forbid, if this happened to you and you knew what you know now, you, you knew the truth, would you not want to send somebody to the whole world and say, Abraham, send messengers out to tell everybody they need to hear. This rich guy is like, I don't care about anybody. Just go tell my brothers. Wow. Wow. I, speaks for itself. Well, Abraham says, all they need is God's word. All they need is the law and the prophets. If they have the law and the prophets, then they're going to hear the message of salvation because God's word is sufficient. Sola Scriptura, the, the, the cry of the Reformation, the foundational principle of the Reformation is that Scripture alone, God's Word alone is all we need to know salvation in Christ. We have it. Probably some of us have like six copies of it at our house. That's all we need. So where are you with that? I, I'm just, just asking another diagnostic heart question of, are you on the fence with that? Do you believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation, the way, the truth, and the life? Do you believe that, that that's true for you? Are you on the fence about that? Maybe, maybe you're not on the fence. Maybe you're just like, I don't believe that. I've heard people say, you, know, you start talking about Jesus, it's like, nah, I, I, don't even go there. I, I don't want to hear it. Maybe that's you. Or, or maybe it's... Uh, it's all up here. It's head knowledge, and it's not something that's ever really penetrated flesh and bone to your heart. I don't, I don't know if any of you are there, but you have to understand what this parable is saying, is that it's not about rich and poor. It's not about the things that you are doing, either for God or not for God. It is about your heart. And, and the language we would use is, is your heart hardened? the gospel? Is your heart such that every time you hear it, you simply just reject, you reject, you reject, you, you just won't or can't believe it? The solution is not checking boxes. The solution is not doing more religious things. The solution is the gospel. You need a new heart. You need a heart that is malleable, that is compassionate, that is desiring of the things that God desires. This is, this is what we all need, a new heart. And the good news is that, as it says in 2 Corinthians 8-9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. How do we get a new heart? It's a transplant. And, and it's very clear in the Word of God who does the work, and that's Jesus. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's entirely a work of God. You cannot justify yourself before men. You cannot make yourself right before God. And you can't even clean yourself up enough to then come and talk to God or anything like that. The only way that God will find you and change you is if you are spiritually poor, spiritually impoverished, dead in your trespasses and sins, and He saves you 
out of that and gives you a new heart. It is entirely a work of grace. It is a, you need Jesus to trade places with you. You need Jesus to give you his righteousness. It is a gift. And to trust him that he will take away your sin. That is what he did on the, that's the message of the cross. That's what he did on the cross is that on the cross he suffered the anguish of, of separation from the Father so that we might be able to be at the Father's side for eternity. That is, that's how we get a new heart, that, that Jesus took our spiritual poverty that, that every single one of us has so that we might become rich toward God. We know this from God's Word. This is the, this is the overall message of God's Word. and it is, a, it is a very clear and distinct call for us to take God at His Word, to repent and to follow Jesus. You know, living a life of trying to justify yourself before men, a, a life of self-righteousness, that is a heavy yoke. That's a heavy burden. That's a lot on your shoulders. But Jesus is saying, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. He comes to give you Abundant life, not to come and give you a longer to-do list. Well, again, one more time, back to the story. We're, we'll close with this. Um, after Abraham says that all they need is God's word, the rich man says, no, that's not enough. They need someone to come back from the dead. Send Lazarus back from the dead to go tell them the truth. And Abraham says, if they don't hear it and believe it from God's word, Someone being risen from the dead won't help. And he was right on two accounts. One, Jesus did raise a Lazarus from the dead. Again, whether it's this Lazarus or not, he raised Lazarus from the dead. And if you think about our audience, the Pharisees, how did they respond when Lazarus was risen from the dead? It says in John 12 that when the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Let that sink in for a second. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and the leaders of of the Jewish religion want to kill Lazarus. Why? Because people start following Jesus. blindness, the, the, the hardness of heart, and I, I don't want any of us to leave this room today without thinking, that could be me. It could be me. I could be that hardened. Maybe I am. Maybe it's you. I don't know. But the solution, again, is to trust in the one who rose from the dead. Jesus himself rose from the dead. He conquered death so that we might have eternal life. And again, the the Jews, most of the Jews, the religious Jews, did not believe once Jesus rose from the dead, and instead they persecuted the church. Well, we need a, perhaps a new reformation in our world. We, we talk about poverty. We have a poverty of the Word of God, don't we? In uh, the 1500s, when the Reformation took place in Europe, There was a poverty of the Word of God. In fact, people couldn't even read the Word of God if they didn't know Latin. The church didn't want them to read the Word of God. And so when the Reformers brought about um, 
their message of, of the gospel of the five solas. Uh, it set Europe on fire for the gospel. Um, I think we can all agree, though, that even though we have many churches in our country, in our world, there's still such a poverty of the Word of God. People still need to hear this Word more than anything. And, and look, the best way for us as, as Christians to want to go and tell them, as it says in Romans 10, who will, how will they hear unless we go, uh, is for us to remember our spiritual poverty that though we were impoverished spiritually, though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Jesus Christ, by his coming and being a servant, took on our spiritual poverty and gave us his richness with God. If we can every single day wake up with that as something that we are passionate about, by remembering our own spiritual poverty and then having compassion on those who are still there, then maybe that will set us ablaze to go and spread the gospel, to go and evangelize, to go and take the word of God to the nations, to those who have not heard it. Who will tell them if we don't go? How will they hear if we don't go? Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for your word that Again, by it we know the truth of the gospel about how Christ became poor for our sake so that we might become rich with God. I pray, Father, that each one of us would ask these diagnostic questions about our hearts, examine our hearts, that we might know the condition of our hearts, and that we might trust you and look to you to be our helper. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.